This program is made possible by the members and donors to the show. For details, visit the membership tab at bestoftheleft.com. Now, welcome to the award-winning Best of the Left podcast with clips today from Dan Savage, The David Pakman Show, The Young Turks, The Rachel Maddow Show, Jim Hightower, Citizen Radio, and YouTube user Mike Polk Jr. And a note to our female listeners, please make sure to get the permission of your husband, father, or other male guardian before listening to this episode, as you should do before doing anything because God said so. First, a little good news. Teen pregnancies are right now, teen pregnancies almost always being unplanned pregnancies and unwed pregnancies, teen pregnancies at their lowest rate in 40 years. No thanks, of course, to the politicians, to the Republicans, to the conservatives, to the nuts, to the science haters, to the sex phobes, uh, who've done all they can to drive the teen pregnancy rate up by doing what? By blocking access to birth control and abortion, but, but to birth control. But teen pregnancies, lowest rates in 40 years, and the abortion rate has not gone up in that time. What this points, and the rate of sexual activity among teenagers has not dropped. What this points to is increased access to contraception has brought the teen pregnancy rate down, down, down. Greater access to contraception brings the teen pregnancy rate down. Who knew, right? The teen pregnancy rate could be lower if access was easier, which brings us to plan B. Plan B is one form of emergency contraception, which is kind of like a mega dose, a big zap of uh, birth control that you take after you had sex without protection or a condom broke or you were sexually assaulted. It's basically backup birth control. It's plan B. Plan B does not cause an abortion. What it does is it prevents ovulation or fertilization of an egg or an implantation. It is not an abortifacient. And yet, of course, the religious right screams that it is an abortion pill. There is an abortion pill, but Plan B ain't it. Now, Plan B is safe. Plan B is safer than Tylenol. And in 2005, Susan Wood, who worked as the top women's health official at the Food and Drug Administration and the Bush administration, resigned her job after the Bush administration blocked access to Plan B and other forms of emergency contraception uh, for women under the age of 18. I'm going to read this quote from her. This decision, which left women of all ages without appropriate and timely access to emergency contraception, was a clear rejection of recommendations that had been based on extensive review and evaluation of the pertinent data. That's what Susan Wood said in the New England Journal of Medicine in 2005. 2009, a federal judge, Edward Corman, who was appointed by Ronald Reagan and who worked for Richard Nixon, who is kind of a conservative dude, he ordered the FDA to revisit, reconsider their Plan B decision, the decision they'd made in the Bush era. Political actors, he wrote, were driving health policy, which, you know, is kind of against the law. So he ordered the FDA to make Plan B available to women 17 and over and to look at the research and the data and the science and determine if Plan B should be made available over-the-counter, without restriction, to women of all ages. And in 2011, deep into the Obama administration... The panel convened by the FDA under this judge's orders concluded that the drug could be used safely by women of all ages, only to be overruled by Health and Human Services Secretary Kathleen Sebelius. And the 18 and over restriction stayed in place. That same federal judge three weeks ago ruled that Sebelius's move was, and I'm quoting here, arbitrary, capricious, and unreasonable, politically motivated, scientifically unjustified, and contrary to agency precedent and ordered Plan B to be made available to women of all ages without restriction, not behind the counter. You shouldn't have to ask the pharmacist. People were having a plan B. This is the way Plan B works. It prevents ovulation, prevents fertilization. You can take it after unprotected 
sex, whether a condom broke or you just got carried away in the moment or you were sexually assaulted, the sooner you take it, the more effective it is. With each passing day, it is less effective. It works up to five days after unprotected sex, but with each of those passing days, it's less effective. If you have to go to a pharmacist and produce an ID, what if the pharmacist isn't there? What if the pharmacy's hours don't coincide with your need for Plan B? Even if you have to wait 12 hours or 24 hours, your chances of becoming pregnant go up and up and up. And what if you're 16? and not 17 or 18. Anyway, the judge ordered the, the Obama administration to pay attention to the science, to pay attention to their own research, and to make Plan B available to women of all ages without restriction over the counter. And the Obama administration is appealing that decision and blocking it. They have decided to lower the age from 18 to 15. They'll make the drug available from the pharmacist. If you can prove you're 15, so there's going to have to be an ID check, but... Not if you're younger than 15. Now, the Family Research Council, our old friends at the Family Research Council, they hate this decision. They hate this judge. This decision undermines the right of parents to make important health decisions for their young daughters, said Anna Higgins. Basically what the Family Research Council is saying here is that parents should have the right to force their daughters to be pregnant against their daughters' wills, if that's what their parents decide is best for their daughters, that a 14-year-old shouldn't have access to this drug without a parent's consent. You know, when you talk about 14-year-olds, you talk about young women, you talk about access to contraception, we talk about access to abortion, a lot of people kind of get nervous because wouldn't it be better if the parents were involved? Absolutely, it would be better if the parents were involved. But you know what? A 14, 15, 16-year-old girl who has the kind of parents that she can go to in a crisis like this and ask for help obtaining an abortion or emergency contraception is going to go to her parents. The kind of 14-year-old who has parents that she cannot go to is the kind of 14-year-old that we need to eliminate these restrictions for, to protect her. You know, the kind of 14-year-old who maybe had unplanned, unprotected sex, you know, when her dad raped her, shouldn't have to go to her fucking dad to get his permission to go get some Plan B and prevent a pregnancy. And yet... Here we have the Obama administration carrying forward these bizarre and anti-woman and anti-science policies of the Bush administration. Obama's Food and Drug Administration is blocking access to Plan B for women of all ages, despite what is now two decades worth of science showing that it should be made available, that it is safe, safer than Tylenol, Susan Wood says. Girls can go to Walgreens and buy all the Tylenol that they want. They cannot buy the Plan B that they might need, despite the fact that Plan B is safer. Reading all about this, and, and it's really maddening, made me remember Barack Obama's inauguration, the first one, and his first inaugural address, where he said, Everywhere we look, there is work to be done. The state of the economy calls for action, bold and swift, and we will act. We will build roads and bridges, the electric grids and digital lines that feed our commerce and bind us together. And then he said, we will restore science to its rightful place. I was in a room full of lefties on Inauguration Day in 2009 when George Bush was sworn in. And when he said, we will restore science to its rightful place, cheers erupted in the crowd. That meant something to us as liberals and progressives, as the reality-based community. And it is so distressing to know now that there was an asterisk at the end of that sentence. We will restore science to its rightful place unless 
the science has something to do with sexually active teenagers and with women's reproductive health and with women's rights, then we're going to kick science to the curb. We're going to put science in exactly the same box that the Bushies put it in. We're going to ignore it. We're going to fight it. And women are going to suffer. And 14 and 15-year-old girls who should have access to this drug won't. Because dot, 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 I have no idea why. Except fear of teen sexuality, fear of female sexuality, a misplaced reverence for the way families ought to work. Yes, families ought to be healthy, and parents ought to be loving and supportive. And a parent with a child who had an unprotected sexual encounter, yeah, that child should have the kind of parent that child can go to and talk to about that and get their love and support. But not every child has that. And the children who are going to suffer for lack of access to Plan B are the children who are already suffering with shitty fucking parents. And this decision will do nothing to protect them and only compound their suffering and their misery and only make them more vulnerable. And this isn't the Bush administration we're talking about. This isn't the Bush administration carrying water for the Family Research Council and punishing women, punishing girls for being sexually active or sexually victimized this is the Obama administration doing it. And it is appalling. It's like I've been awakened. Every rule I had you breaking is the risk that I'm taking. And I'm never gonna shut you up. We have a, a situation in Mississippi where, depending on the outcome of a pending court case, Mississippi could start jailing women for miscarriages and stillbirths. And Mother Jones wrote about this, and they, they, they cite the story of Nina Buckhalter and her pregnancy, which 31 weeks in led to uh, giving birth to a stillborn girl. Now, two months later, a grand jury in Mississippi indicted Buckhalter for manslaughter, and they said, you know, at the time she was 29, she willfully and unlawfully, feloniously killed Haley Jade Buckhalter, a human being, her daughter, her stillborn daughter, by culpable negligence. And what they're talking about is that, according to the district attorney, there was meth, uh, crystal meth, methamphetamine, detected in Buckhalter's system, and that that's what caused the baby to be born, stillborn. So the state Supreme Court heard oral arguments on this, and they're expected to rule soon about it. Now, this would set huge precedent, Lewis. This is a huge, huge problem, because if prosecutors come out on top here, they would be setting the precedent that unintentional pregnancy loss can be interpreted as a form of homicide. It doesn't mean that it by default will be. It doesn't mean miscarriages by default put you in jail. But it is setting precedent that unintentional pregnancy loss can be a form of homicide, and that's a huge problem. Well, uh, in a way, and I know the big question is, how will that affect the, uh, the abortion debate? And, That's and, part of it, and things of that nature. But we yeah. already we already have uh, homicides 
when it's someone else killing of someone who's pregnant. Yes. So in in a way, this this kind of already exists. This idea of of you being someone being responsible for the murder of an unborn baby. The issue is that Mississippi has manslaughter laws, which were never intended to to be used in cases of stillbirth and miscarriage. And there were four times between 1998 and 2002 where lawmakers in Mississippi rejected a proposal which would have set specific penalties for damaging a fetus by using a legal drug. So this has kind of already been rejected. And now, because the court, by, by its very decision, can set precedent, we could be going against something that presumably is, has kind of been addressed already in the state. And uh, th this is th the other issue here is that there is no conclusive evidence, according to a lot of experts, that exposure to drugs in utero can cause miscarriage or stillbirth. So that's the other thing, which is, you know, um, if, if you are going to say that the mere use of drugs, which cannot be specifically linked to a miscarriage or stillbirth, can count as homicide, if somebody has a glass of wine and you end up having a stillborn baby, well, all of a sudden you're opening up that door. Listen, you know, if you smoke, right? If you sometimes people are ordered, women are ordered, do not exercise because it could pose a risk to the baby. What if you go for a jog, or not a jog, but you go for a brisk walk, and you end up having a miscarriage? Are you now, you violated a doctor's order, presumably, not to exercise, and maybe the fast walking is exercise. You see how the precedent-setting nature of this is very dangerous. Yes, uh, I think, logically, in a case like this, you would only charge someone with this if it was the use of illegal uh, narcotics. But again, it's a case of even experts are saying it would be almost impossible to prove that that specifically was the reason for a miscarriage since right. they happen for so many reasons. Right. Th this really comes down to an article I read on Church and State about Christian fundamentalism and really driving the country into the dark ages. And one of the elements that's addressed there is the, the element of uh, asserting this kind of patriarchal right to control women. And the article says, to fundamentalists, women are second-class citizens subject to a strict social hierarchy. This can be observed in every stripe of fundamentalism from Islamic to Christian. And it basically goes, God or Jesus is the head of the man. Man is the head of the woman, subject only to God. And this, to me, is yet another way of, of trying to assert control over women. Okay, what what do you think is the best thing of the thing about the show that is best and most appealing to to somebody who listens or watches? Um, let's see. You see, I would have to think about that. <laughs> is, this, is this the that hard of a question? Is it that is. It is a hard question. It's like, what is the meaning of life? You can't just uh, you can't just throw something out there. All right. Well, you know what? None of us know what the, what what's good about this show. What None we know is we have a show. We know the show exists. Pretty much. Well, if that doesn't make you curious, I don't know what will. Check out The David Pakman Show at davidpakman.com. In the House, they're considering a bill that would make abortion illegal after 20 weeks. That would be unconstitutional. According to Roe versus Wade, you've got to go to 24 weeks. But it's not like the Republicans have cared about the Constitution before, unless it's the Second Amendment. They think, I believe that they think the Second Amendment is the entirety of the Constitution. Anyway, so uh, Trent Franks, of course, a huge supporter of this bill, and says, eh, well, 
after uh, 20 weeks, we don't even have to worry about rape or incest or uh, even the health of the mother. The health of the mother, they're just lying anyway. Then he got into real trouble when he said this. Before, when my friends on the left side of the aisle here tried to make rape and incest the subject because you, you know, the, 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 the incidents of rape and, uh, resulting in pregnancy are very low. I can't. Really? You went there again? Did you hear what he said at the end? Ah, oh, the incidence of pregnancies from rape is really low. Did you not watch the 2012 elections? Okay, I mean, forget how incredibly wrong you are. The, the scientists uh, have done studies that show that you're just as likely to get pregnant from a rape than any other kind of sex. It's totally made up. The real reason that they say that, by the way, is because they're dying to eliminate abortion. So it's inconvenient for them because, like, if a woman's raped, everybody feels like, oh, come on, you don't, you're not going to make her have her rapist child, right? So they got to pretend that it doesn't happen. Like, oh, that's really rare. That, yeah, that never happens. Yeah, right. Oh, you're like, you get pregnant from a rape. Not if it's a legitimate rape. Or maybe if it's a legitimate rape, but no. But then, for put that aside, how about politics? Todd Aiken lost a seat he was going to win in Missouri because he talked about legitimate rape and said nearly exactly what you're saying. And you're still stupid enough to come out and make that statement? There's no end to it. Give Trent Franks just the tiniest bit of credit, because apparently there was a little bit of panic that set in afterwards, realizing that he said something not necessarily that he didn't mean, but that might cause him political damage. So here comes the Washington backpedal, 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 i got to get out of here. Quote, new quote. Uh, I'm talking about the instances where pregnancy from rape results in an abortion after the sixth month or beyond are very rare. So yeah, I mean, between the 20 and 24 weeks, that's really rare, you know, that you would have to get an abortion with you. Sure, Trent. I'm sure that's what you meant. I'm thrilled with love, I know this. It's best that I stay sober. No rolling in the clover. No Gretna Green to Dover. No honeymoon in Paris. I only feel embarrassed for the cool cats. The charm. When Texans stormed their state house last Thursday to stage a citizen's filibuster of the Republicans' new Texas abortion ban, it was kind of a struggle to report on it well on the national level. The video that we had from the legislature to report on it was a really raw feed provided by the legislature itself. And frankly, it was just a terrible feed. Even on Sunday, when the abortion ban sponsor started going off about rape being no problem because a rape kit can clean her out, even with that amazingness on tape, still, the tape itself was terrible. And it is hard to make a state story into a national story unless you have a good visual way to tell it. And with this Texas story, that was not the case. Until the Texas Tribune. All hail the Texas Tribune. We were covering the story for days, but with difficulty, until the Texas Tribune set up a crystal clear live stream of the proceedings in the Texas legislature, gavel to gavel, come what may.
And by now, most people who would be concerned if 80% of Texas abortion clinics were closed or if abortion were banned after 20 weeks in Texas, most of those people anywhere in the country now are now aware of the action and the news and the drama that the Texas Tribune helped to show the world with that camera and their reporting. Senate Democrat Wendy Davis announced she was going to filibuster the Republican abortion ban. According to the rules, that meant she would alone have to talk only about the abortion bill by herself, without stopping, without sitting, without leaving even for a second, without a bathroom break, without eating, without drinking, without leaning on anything or leaning on anyone, without violating any of the arcane rules of the Texas State Senate. And she set out to do it for 13 hours. She did it for hours and hours and hours, live streaming on the video feed of the Texas Tribune. Wendy Davis, alone, sort of. There were thousands of supporters streaming into the Capitol all day long in Texas. They filled the Senate gallery and the rotunda. There were long lines to get in to see her at work. And for the first several hours, starting at 11 a.m., things went pretty smoothly. Until about 5.30 p.m. in Austin, about halfway through her 13-hour planned filibuster, Senator Wendy Davis was challenged by one of her Republican Senate colleagues. Raising a point of order, he accused her of going off-topic. The anti-abortion crusading Republican lieutenant governor who was presiding over the chamber at that time agreed with the Republican senator, and Wendy Davis had strike one against her. An hour later, they did it again. When a fellow Democrat asked for some of Wendy Davis's testimony to be repeated, Senator Davis took the opportunity to put on a back brace to help her keep standing for all those hours. A colleague gave her a hand fastening the back brace, and boom, Republicans objected to that, inappropriately touching the filibustering senator. So that was strike two. She could only have three of these, three of these things go against her before it kills her filibuster. She already had two strikes of the three she is allotted with five more hours still to go. So there's basically zero margin for error under the microscope of a room full of adversaries looking for errors. Everybody was watching. Everybody was watching. Even the President of the United States was watching, according to Twitter. And then at about 10 p.m. in Austin, then there was strike three. Senator Campbell, your point of order is uh, well taken and is sustained. A Republican senator jumped out of her seat to accuse Wendy Davis of again going off topic when she talked about the financial effects of a previous anti-abortion bill in Texas. Cue the freak out in response in the gallery and the rotunda and all over the internet. There's spectators in the gallery shouting, shame on you, shame on you, let her speak. They know this is strike three, right? They know this could stop the whole thing. From the rotunda, people start yelling, Wendy, Wendy, all heard loud and clear in the Senate chamber. But it was three strikes, three strikes against her. And Wendy Davis and the Democrats seemed like they were out, out on a technicality, two hours short of the time they needed to run out in order to kill the bill. Except, how do you defeat a technicality? With another technicality. Parliamentary inquiries. Democrats started lining up and asking parliamentary questions of the presiding officer. One Democrat who had been absent from the Senate while she was planning her father's funeral, she asked basically, hey, what happened while I was gone? Mr. President, parliamentary inquiry. Since I was not able to be here on the floor since I was at my father's funeral, I ask that you please let me know what were the three motions or what were the three points of order so that I may understand. I was not here and I do not know and I was not looking online because I was at my father's funeral. Would the chair please advise me? I was dealing with the fact that my father was just killed in a car crash. Could you please fill me in as to what happened?
Meanwhile, the throngs of Democratic supporters remained riveted, staying very vocal as Democrats strung the proceedings out toward midnight. For two more hours, the Democrats successfully stalled with questions about procedure until 11.45 p.m. local time. At that point, they are 15 minutes away from the finish line with everything on the line and tension running very high. And the same Democratic senator, Letitia Van Depute, who had been absent for her father's funeral, she rose to make what would be the final parliamentary inquiry. And with time winding down, this proved to be the game changer. Watch. Mr. President, parliamentary inquiry. The state your inquiry. At what point must a female senator raise her hand or her voice to be recognized over the male colleagues in the room? The cheers start there. They did not stop. They did not stop. From that moment forward, it was sort of pandemonium. The gallery in a steady roar that did not stop, alternately cheering and clapping and chanting and making just auditory chaos. And the Republicans tried and failed to restore order for the next 14 minutes as the clock wound down toward the midnight deadline. In minutes, the session was going to be over and the anti-abortion bill would be blocked. But it was not over yet. The presiding Republican, amid this tide of noise and protest and energy, tried to just call a final vote on the passage of the bill anyway. The secretary will call the roll. Birdwell, Campbell, Corona, Davis, Duell, Duncan, Ellis. Estes, Frazier, Garcia, Hancock, Hager. Members, we are in the middle of a vote. The Secretary is calling the vote. Seliger, Taylor, Uresti. If we can have order in the chamber so that the members can properly cast a vote. I'm trying to do it. The cheering continued all the way to midnight and therefore into the new day and past the deadline. The cheering crowd and the Democrats had run out the clock in the end simply by bamboozling the Republicans. The special session was done. It was over. Now, Republicans who had held Wendy Davis to the individual pixels of the letters of the law about her filibuster, down to the point where they would not allow anybody to help her fasten her back brace. Those Republicans surely would not themselves break the rules by passing a bill into law after the deadline, after the official midnight end of the legislative session. Would they do that? The clock had struck midnight, thanks to the cheers and jeers of the people at the Capitol and the Republicans not knowing how to respond, the yelling in the room and the chaos with the Republicans not being able to gather, get it together, it, it did prevent the Republicans from killing the filibuster effort. So the Democrats won. 
Except the electronic record for the vote that happened after midnight, that had happened in the earliest morning moments of June 26th, the electronic record suddenly flipped to show that the vote had happened on June 25th. And so it was reported that despite the marathon effort of Wendy Davis and the chaotic assistance of her supporters in the gallery, the Republicans had won and the Democrats had lost. But that was not true. And not only was that not true, not only had Wendy Davis won, but everybody had seen it either in person or somewhere on an electronic device elsewhere in America. Thank you, Texas Tribune. And so the record was corrected. And at 3 o'clock in the morning, the lieutenant governor of the state of Texas, who had resisted Wendy Davis all of those hours, closed this chapter of Texas political history. Members, regrettably, the constitutional time for the first called session of the 83rd legislature has expired. Senate Bill 5 cannot be signed in the presence of the Senate at this time and therefore cannot be enrolled. It's been fun, but um, see you soon. <laughs> 16 hours after it began, the Democrats' filibuster worked. And the loud support of the people, the hundreds of Texans in that gallery, worked, worked. Republicans set out to use the special rules of the special Senate to special Senate section to try and pass this abortion ban. And Democrats responded with rules, too. And the Democrats won. And Wendy Davis is a household name now. And then a few hours ago, Governor Rick Perry announced that he's just going to call another special session. Another 30-day special session so the Republicans can try again to pass this abortion bill starting all over from scratch. It starts Monday, starting all over again. But this time, the looming power of Texas's demographically inevitable democratic progressive future is suddenly way less theoretical than it has ever been. I'm a baby, I'm a really baby. And I'm coming after more than your pill Well, it's from Texas to Ohio To North Carolina A war on women and a battle for vagina Sharia isn't too far away You better hope and pray that I will Stay right here is nothing more than a bill Gee, Bill, you sure could be a pain in the uterus for women. Well, you got that right. Pain in the uterus, ovaries. Hell, when I started, I wasn't even a bill. I was just a bad idea. But some folks think it's the 1950s all up in here. If they had their way, it'd be the 1850s. They like to call that the good old days. With women barefoot, pregnant, no vote. You know, baby vessels. The way God intended. I'm a baby. I'm a really bad bill. Owning your uterus just gives them a thrill. In 2007, a Texas school superintendent rejected any need for sex education classes, noting that many students in his district live on farms. He said they get a pretty good sex education from their animals. Guess which state is number one in teen pregnancies? Yes, Texas. And who should be the ones to make medical decisions about pregnancies? Not women their doctors or their ministers. Rather, the macho Republican autocrats and theocrats who control Texas state government say they are the ones to decide such deeply personal matters. How embarrassing for these political bullies, then, to have had their repressive, extremist, and dangerous anti-choice legislation derailed by, well, by women. 
Some 2,000 of them recently flooded into the Capitol building to support Senator Wendy Davis, who mounted an 11-hour filibuster against the GOP scheme, and this crowd of women shouted down the leaders when they tried to rig the rules to silence Davis and ram their bill into law. The women's outcry startled Governor Rick Oops Perry, who later whimpered that the people's assertion of citizens' authority was a hijacking of the democratic process. Odd concept, the people hijacking democracy. Odder yet is that these same Republicans once tried to hijack Senator Davis's district by gerrymandering most of her minority voters into another district. And now Perry is trying to hijack reality, huffing and puffing that he'll slap down the women's opposition to his assault on their rights because, quote, that's what the people of this state hired us to do. This is Jim Hightower saying, get a grip, Rick. In a June poll, 74% of Texas voters, including 6 out of 10 Republicans, say such personal decisions should be made by women and their doctors, not by political quacks masquerading as Talibanic moral autocrats. This program can only do what it does because of the members who support the show for as little as $5 a month. And as thanks for the support, members now get access to bonus content, including additional voicemails and clips that didn't fit in the big show, and additional stories and discussion topics from me. Plus, I've organized a full archive of the show, including a curated selection of my favorite past episodes, as well as a collection of my absolute favorite radio clips from all sorts of places. All that now available only to members. If you're already a member and want access to all this great content, draw me an email at j at bestoftheleft.com so I can get you set up. And if you're not yet a member, you can sign up now at the membership tab at bestoftheleft.com. Thanks so much for your support. In Austin, Texas, there is a nail salon where you can get what I think are very fancy manicures. I'm extremely not an expert on this subject, but at this Austin salon, you can get on your nails, for example, a portrait of Carl Sagan, the cosmologist, or Neil deGrasse Tyson, the astrophysicist. Also at this nail salon, puns, you're my butter half. <laughs> and now, uh, for one day and one day only, you can get Senator Wendy Davis nail art. If your thumb is one Wendy Davis portrait short of being perfect, now is your chance to fix that problem. So yes, there is Wendy Davis nail art in Austin, Texas right now. The salon says that half the Wendy Davis nail art proceeds will go to Planned Parenthood. Also in Wendy Davis-inspired culture news, you should know that the internet has already cast the actress Connie Britton in the starring role of the not-yet-pitched, not-yet-written, not-yet-actual movie about Wendy Davis's filibuster this week. Mrs. Coach as Senator Davis. Wendy Davis, at least for the moment, is a political phenomenon. Texas State Senator Wendy Davis filibusters her way to Democratic stardom. Texas's newest political star, Wendy Davis, feminist superhero, filibuster hero, dares, to te dares Texas to draft her for a run at the governorship. Wendy Davis, folk hero. The pro-choice caucus in the United States House of Representatives today put out a statement thanking Senator Davis, who is, after all, a state senator, thanking her for her all-day, all-night filibuster. And on this show last night, Cecile Richards, the national president of Planned Parenthood and completely and totally of Texas politics, Cecile Richards here last night marveled about what happened with Wendy Davis this week in Texas. 
there were folks in, in obviously there on the Senate floor, but thousands of people outside in the rotunda filling the Capitol. And uh, it, it was amazing. It was absolutely amazing. I have never seen anything like it in all my history of organizing or, or as a Texan. Now the big question in Democratic politics is, what's next here? Uh, last night, our own beloved Chris Hayes put the question of Wendy Davis's political future to Wendy Davis herself. And unlike most politicians, she actually answered the question. Your state has not elected a statewide Democrat for quite some time. Are you going to run for governor? You know, I, I would be lying if I told you that I hadn't had aspirations to run for a statewide office. I love this state and it's been an incredible opportunity to represent it in the Texas Senate. I think the, the real story will be, uh, will the sentiment of people hold? Uh, will they demonstrate their desire for new leadership in this state? If yesterday was any indication, I think chances are pretty good that that's going to be the case. If he had not been on notice before, Texas Governor Rick Perry uh, is now on notice. About 15 hours after Wendy Davis proclaimed her aspirations to run for statewide office, Governor Perry found himself in front of a microphone and a camera and an anti-abortion audience that gave him a standing ovation when he tried to mansplain the true meaning of Wendy Davis's own family, trying to mansplain that history to Wendy Davis. Even the woman who filibustered the Senate the other day, was born into difficult circumstances. She was the daughter of a single woman. She was a teenage mother herself. She managed to eventually graduate from Harvard Law School and serve in the Texas Senate. It's just unfortunate that she hasn't learned from her own example that every life must be given a chance to realize its full potential and that every life matters. You got that, Senator Davis, about your own life and what you need to learn from it? Isn't it nice that you managed to get through law school? In case you think Rick Perry has not meant to judge Wendy Davis and her life in uncomfortably personal terms, if you were expecting maybe an apology or something, uh, here he was on Dallas's NBC affiliate a few minutes later. She didn't come from um, particularly good circumstances. What if her mom had said, you know, I just can't do this. I don't want to do this. At that particular point in time, I think it becomes very personal. To all of this, uh, Wendy Davis had a reply. I would just say that it, it really demeans the office that he holds to make uh, a personal statement like that. So this, this, this happened today. Rick Perry clearly thinks that Wendy Davis could be his opponent should he choose to run for re-election as governor. And Wendy Davis seems like she'd be a formidable candidate, particularly given the fundraising power of her new national profile. Also, Wendy Davis could be out of her current job in time for the governor's race. The Supreme Court gutting the Voting Rights Act this week allows Texans Republicans to redraw the congressional district map in a way that targets Wendy Davis essentially out of her seat. But they cannot redistrict Democratic voters clear out of the state entirely. So could Wendy Davis's rocketing popularity on her side of the aisle sustain her through a run for governor? Does this moment in Texas Democratic politics mean that the longtime Democratic pipe dream of Texas turning blue is actually sort of, at least a little, on its way?
Today's activism segment comes to you, as always, in partnership with the Unfuck It Up Project, where creator Katie Goodman and director Katie Klobusik encourage involvement over apathy by highlighting people and organizations that are doing good in their communities and the world. Today's campaign, No Womb is Safe. I couldn't even fit into one show all the state-level attacks happening right now on reproductive rights, and as you're listening, the ground has already shifted on legislation and activism opportunities. With that in mind, this segment highlights resources within the feminist activist community where you can plug in, join up, and help out with the day-to-day and week-to-week battles happening all over the country. This is often as easy as 10 seconds to sign a petition, 20 seconds to share information across your networks, or two minutes to send pizza, water, and granola bars to those camped out out Occupy style in state houses to testify against legislation. First up, you can visit narol.org for a state-by-state breakdown and to see what is happening in your backyard. Second, go to jessicawluther.com where reproductive justice advocate Jessica Luther posts daily updates on pending legislation and the needs of activists fighting on the ground. Her site is exceedingly easy to scan and has information on how to help from wherever you are in the country. Finally, if you want a broader view of the reproductive rights landscape with relevant history, which states to watch, and what is likely coming next, the new book Crow After Row, available from all the typical sources, will both prepare and motivate you. Also, a brief plug for the act of voting. Vote in your local elections, even when you're disillusioned about national politics. These state-level attacks are happening because such a small percentage of the population votes in non-presidential elections. Around 20-40% to 40% of eligible voters at best, according to voting guru Brad Friedman of the Brad blog and Green News Report. More radical legislators take hold of state houses when the political middle stays home. So if you're not in favor of these laws, go to headcount.org to verify your voter registration info and make sure you don't miss the next opportunity to hire officials who represent your interests. Links to today's campaign will be in the show notes in all the usual places. Join up with Best of the Left on Facebook and Twitter for other activism opportunities and to share actions for possible use on the show. Could you help unfuck it up? And then say, are you really so fucking busy? You can't take one fucking minute to help unfuck it up. Because I'm willing to pick one thing to help unfuck it up. Won't you join me? Let's talk about abortion. Let's do it. Because everybody was really fixated, obviously. Get your abortion shoes on. Sorry. And understandably so on uh, what happened in Texas and Wendy Davis's amazing filibuster and the protesters flooding, uh, you know, the the halls of of power and chanting and making sure this bill uh, did not pass. So it was an amazing moment. Of course, Rick Perry is being a little fucking weasel about it and trying to declare another session so they can force the bill through. But what people aren't talking about as much uh, is what's happening in North Carolina and Ohio. In North Carolina, um, this is from NorthCarolinaHealthNews.org. After a contentious debate on the House floor, North Carolina lawmakers tentatively voted to require middle school teachers to instruct their students on the top five causes of preterm birth and tell them that one of those causes is having had an abortion. Now, here's what's interesting about that. A, having middle school teachers 
uh, teach anything about abortion is, is sort of, um, unusual. But the fact, the, the most important aspect of this is that that's not fucking true. That's not medically accurate. So lawmakers in North Carolina, and it, that is according to any numerous, um, health groups, uh, women's reproductive rights groups. Probably Channing Tatum. Channing Tatum agrees. He gets it. Uh, abortion, having had an abortion is not one of the causes of preterm birth. Um, so this means it, lawmakers voted to have middle school teachers teach something on abortion that's not even fucking true. Uh, so that's pretty like, extraordinary. Yay, finally, sexual education. Oh, it's all wrong and weird and creepy. <laughs> yeah, so it's called Senate Bill 132. Uh, I'm sure maybe if you're in North Carolina, you were aware of this, but I heard about it on, uh, I believe, Chris Hayes' show. I'm also assuming the person who made the bill was like, one, three, two, that'll be easy to memorize because that's the order of numbers. It's like, oh, you don't know anything. Yeah. Did yeah. I do. I do because it goes one, two, three. Yeah, it does. Even your woman brain got that. <laughs> so in Ohio, um, think progress has this story whenever you start off with in ohio or in florida i'm just like braced for something so abysmal i can't even comprehend it yeah ohio's actually been terrible with abortion uh access and rights um but again texas was happening so our national media was sort of fixated on that and this is no offense i mean like that was an awesome fight we covered it on the show but there is a danger that you know, people are like, okay, the, the danger is over. And it's not even over in Texas. Like, no, Perry's I- trying, like, with everything in his power to get this bill through. So it is essential everyone in Texas remains vigilant. But we're just covering these stories to say, hey, this is also going on in North Carolina and Ohio, too. Yeah, which, does, again, yeah, it doesn't mean you have to take your eyes off Texas either. No. Ohio lawmakers are currently trying to pass a state budget. But many of the debates over the legislation have nothing to do with the state's financial policies whatsoever. Abortion opponents have hijacked the budget negotiations to launch several attacks on women's health, tacking on provisions that would defund Planned Parenthood, shut down abortion clinics, and redirect state funding to right-wing, quote, crisis pregnancy centers... And the budget only continues to get worse for Ohio women. On Tuesday, anti-abortion Republicans in the state added yet another budget provision related to reproductive health. The new amendment would require doctors to look for a fetal heartbeat before performing an abortion, presumably with an unnecessary ultrasound procedure, and then notify the woman about the presence of the heartbeat. Abortion doctors would also be required to tell women about the fetus's likelihood of surviving to full term. So again, this is fucking bullshit paternalistic nonsense. If you are a woman seeking an abortion, you know what that entails. This is just, again, the state getting in between a doctor and a woman, which is an anti-Republican stance to have. Anti-conservatism. You are asking the state to come in and... And, and, and meddle with a woman's right to choose. It's ridiculous. And it's sexist, obviously, but it's paternalistic too, that, that they are presuming women are stupid and don't understand what abortion means. Yeah. Um, so that is going on in Ohio. Thank your governor, Kasich. Um, there was a- Oh, Kasich, a male. That surprised me. Cause <laughs> Very I, much a male. I assumed it was like when I saw, uh, the head of the Heritage Foundation on Meet the Press yesterday. And he was trying to debate Rachel Maddow on reproductive rights. I was like, let him speak, for he is a lady who I'm sure has had several abortions (laughs) and knows what he's talking about. I've woken up.
As an anti-consumerism advocate, I'd like to encourage you to shop less, don't buy things you don't need, and only buy the necessities from local, independently owned businesses. That said, if you don't take this good advice, then at least there's a way to shop that helps support this show at the same time. Simply click through to Amazon.com, just one of the major companies under constant boycott by one liberal cause or another, from the banner posted at bestoftheleft.com. Better yet, click through just once and bookmark that link to use every time you shop. Your shopping experience will be identical to normal. It will cost you nothing extra, but 7-8% of the cost of your order in soulless corporate blood money will be siphoned off and used to tremendously support the production of this show. Thanks for doing the right thing, whatever you consider that to be. Hello, I'm Ohio Governor John Kasich. You know, there have been a lot of questions about the recent abortion amendments we tacked on to the Ohio budget at the last minute behind closed doors without input or debate from you, the Ohio citizens. So I thought I'd take a moment to explain what these new laws mean to you, the women of Ohio. I'm Stacy, and I just found out that I'm pregnant, but I'm in no condition emotionally, physically, or financially to have a child. Am I still able to have an abortion? Of course you are. But, thanks to this new law, it's now our right to force a camera up your hoo-ha and take a picture so that you have to form a relationship with your thumbnail-sized fetus. This is already a very difficult decision for me, and this will make it more traumatic. That's the goal. Let's get started. Hey, Stacy, how'd it go? They gave me this to keep. Oh, look at that little miracle. Can I have the procedure now? Not quite yet. First, there's someone here to see you. Mom? Hello, Stacy. You see, according to one of the new budget amendments, you now have to stand here in complete silence next to your mother for 45 minutes while she cries and holds a picture of her holding you as a baby. I'll be back. Oh, but I... Well, how did that go? It was terrible. Fantastic. Now you're almost ready to make your decision. But first, you have to paint your potential child's nursery. Oh, boy. Hey, great color scheme. Thank you. Now the law says you have to have a baby shower thrown for you by your judgmental Christian aunts. But... Now? Absolutely. Right after you go tell your childhood priest what you're about to do. Please, no. How'd it go? I'm excommunicated. And rightfully so. How do you feel? Awful. That's the feeling of democracy working. Can I please have the procedure now? Absolutely. Right after you pass the physical challenge. First, you have to cross these monkey bars hand over hand in under 10 seconds. Then swim out to that buoy and back. And then finally, you just gotta haul this semi truck up a hill 50 yards. Okay, I'll I'll just have the baby. <gasps> Hallelujah! It's a miracle. But remember, this was your decision. Okay, whatever. Okay. Well, there you have it. The new laws are just that simple, ladies. Old white Republican men helping Ohio's women decide what to do with their vaginas since we egregiously gerrymandered the state in 2010. I can't afford to feed this baby. That's not our problem. Governor John Kasich from Ohio has signed uh, the new budget for the 2014 fiscal year, and it includes, as you can imagine, um, some elements that have progressives very, very upset. So let me give you uh, the quick rundown of what House Bill 59 includes. Uh, it's a $62 billion budget, and it includes $2.7 billion in tax cuts for the wealthy. Of course, yeah. of course. But I'm sure that it's shared pain, right? I mean, 
Uh, they probably give tax cuts to the poor, too. Wrong again. Of course, uh, to make up for the lost revenue, they have decided to turn to regressive taxes, like the sales tax. So the sales tax will increase from 5.5% to 5.75%. And the reason why I say it's a regressive tax is because with sales tax, everyone has to pay it, right? And usually the middle class and the working class is going to have to make up for the lost revenue from the tax cuts from the wealthy. All right, so let's just explain a little bit further, just because... I want everybody to understand why this is so monumentally unfair. And then on top of it, they call it a fair tax oftentimes when they talk about stuff like this. So if you're making a million dollars, you spend a, a, a tiny percentage of your money on, on the groceries. If you're making 20000 40000 you're spending a huge amount of your money on rent. Uh, but put aside rent, but you know things that you need to buy to survive, including food, right? You pay sales tax on that. Clothing, you pay sales tax on that. So a huge percentage of your money goes to the sales tax. It hurts the poor and the middle class so much more than it hurts the rich. And then in return, though, you get tax cuts for the rich. Exactly. It's, so we get screwed in both ways. This is what the entire Republican Party is about. This is what they do. But in case this wasn't enough of a screwing of the people of Ohio in general, well, they would also like to target women and take away your rights. And that's the second part of this story. Exactly. So uh, there will be a $1.4 million cut to Planned Parenthood, uh, which means that uh, a few of the uh, abortion clinics in the state will shut down. But that's something that they've been fighting for for quite some time. We're seeing it happen in multiple red states right now. Um, and it, the, from the research that I've done, I found 10 abortion clinics. Uh, in Ohio. Three of them are expected to shut down as a result of this new budget. Uh, and also, rape crisis centers could lose funding if they recommend abortion to a victim of rape. Mm -hmm. Okay, so let's say... Uh, well, that's very kind, you know. So you're taking care of a poor woman who's been raped. If you mention the most obvious alternative, hey, you know what, maybe you don't... Just in case you don't want to have your rapist child, here are some of your alternatives, right? Yeah. Nope, gone. We don't need those thinking rape crisis centers anymore. What are you going to help women who got raped? God, who cares, right? So they're taking money away from abortion clinics. And, and by the way, Planned Parenthood is not an abortion clinic. It's a family planning uh, you know, clinic that helps people with uh, breast exams. It helps women with contraceptives. It helps them with counseling, that kind of stuff. Um, but you see, the thing is, you'd have to care about that. You'd have to give a damn. Yeah, they don't care about they're, that. They were homeless. They're like, who cares, man? You were getting a breast exam. I, you're a woman. I don't care. My job is to take away your rights. My not, job is not to give a damn whether you get breast cancer. So they're taking money away from that, and they're actually funneling it to these pregnancy crisis centers. And just to give you guys a quick refresher on what those centers are, they're basically these organizations that are run by very, very religious people that try to convince women to not get abortions. And they're set up to look like clinics, so women will go there seeking an abortion, and usually uh, someone dressed in like a doctor's coat like a white coat they're not doctors okay they have no medical training at all they will sit you down and try to convince you that abortion is the wrong way to go they'll talk to you about adoption they'll talk to you about other things but they'll even give you misinformation about what abortion does so they'll say things that have been proven wrong by research like oh if you get an abortion you're gonna get breast cancer that kind of stuff okay listen if you if you're on the right side why do you need to lie to people why do you need to come out in a doctor's coat I mean, you're a liar, right? And as you're trying to do fraud. And by the way, the Ohio government is now helping you to do that fraud. Why don't you just say who you are? Why don't you come out maybe in a cloak or something with a big giant cross, like a giant one, and say, hey, I'm religious, and I, I think this is the right way to go, and I'm going to counsel you in that direction. Nothing wrong with that, right? 
but you don't really believe your position and you think the American people don't believe your position so you have to pretend that you're a doctor or a medical expert and you come out in your bullshit coat and you say okay now I'd like you to direct you in this way and yeah. Kasich that fraud of a governor says how can I give you more money oh you got raped oh I'm gonna take money away from the rape crisis centers and I'm gonna give it to these liars these fraudulent people who pretend to help you while feeding you misinformation but we're not even close to the worst part of this bill yet now I'm gonna roll up my sleeves and get to the worst part okay, okay? Go ahead. I'm pissed about everything else mm -hmm. but the one part in the bill where if you are in the middle of an abortion and something goes wrong and they need you to get you to mm -hmm. a hospital the, this bill says you cannot go to a public hospital. You have to try to find a private hospital. Is it the nearest one? I don't care. Okay. Uh, is it something you got to do in the middle of a panic, in the middle of a situation going wrong? I don't care. This is the Ohio government saying, I hope you die in the middle of an abortion. I'm not going to help you to get to a public hospital to save your life. These are the pro-life guys. Pro-life. Do you see what kind of fraud this is in its entirety? And how sick is it? As seriously, I mean, look, as any decent human being, you'd have to vote against this, right? But, but especially if you're a woman, imagine you're in that situation. Oh, my God, you and have also, no decency as a man. It, you're, someone you love is on a table, and something goes wrong during an abortion, and you've got to get them to a hospital. Like, nope, not going to bring you to a public hospital. What kind of person are you? And it goes back to what I've been saying about the Republican Party for a very long time now. When a woman gets pregnant and it's an unwanted pregnancy, it's not about, for some religious people, yes, it is, uh, you know, a human life to them and they want to make sure that they protect that, right? But I think for the majority of the GOP, it's about punishment. Oh, you had sex for any other reason than to uh, reproduce. Therefore, you need to be punished by it. You need to have that child. And if you do decide to get an abortion, which the Supreme Court ruled is constitutionally protected, well, uh, you should be punished for that too. You should risk your life. Yeah, they're despicable people. Now, the, the reality is 75% of the country is pro-choice. They believe that abortion should be legal. 25% believe it should be illegal. Yet that 25% keeps winning. Why? That's your fault. If you're pro-choice, but you say, oh, no, it's okay. Oh, they're not really going to do anything. And in Ohio, which voted for Obama in the presidential elections, oh, that's okay, I'm going to vote for a Republican governor. Oh, I'm going to vote for my local guy. He's not a bad guy. He's okay. He's a Republican. Oh, they're not going to do anything about abortion. You're wrong. You're wrong. You're wrong. They can't wait to do something about abortion. They're doing it all across the country, and they're going to take away your rights. Even though three-quarters of you agree that you should have that right, but you're giving it away by voting for Republicans. Everybody that watches this show knows I got no love for Democrats. Don't care about them at all. This isn't about Democrats. You, you know, what you want to do with Democrats is a separate issue. You vote for Republicans at the local level. And the first thing they'll do, because they're doing it right now, it's not theoretical, it's all across the country, including Texas, Ohio, all these different places. They're going to take away your rights, and God forbid you're in a bad spot. They're going to smirk as you try to find a hospital, as they've closed off the majority of them to you. Nathan from Vancouver. Uh, he had his first 
voicemail about the 1% doctrine. Hi, Jay. This is Nathan from Vancouver, Washington. One of the roots of this power that the government's getting is the kind of like Dick Cheney's 1% doctrine. One of the things to realize about our, our oaths that people take when they join the government, the president, and everybody else, we don't swear to protect the physical health of every single American. We swear to uphold the Constitution of the United States against all enemies, foreign and domestic. And follow this up with a voicemail about the absence of nuance in the Constitution. Nuance is highly overrated in discussions of constitutional rights. Our government at every level is granted explicit powers that they can do, and that's it. And they're also given prohibitions specifically limiting those powers. Uh, a few things puzzle me about this call. I think his point is that the government should not be allowed to violate some of our rights, privacy, for example, in order to ensure our safety, just like we should not be allowed to violate the right to bear arms to ensure the safety of children. He admits that we do have a right to life, but it seems that he's saying that we don't have a right to have our butts protected, quote-unquote. The government is not here to physically protect each of our individual asses. It's here to protect our rights. First, it's not clear to me what the difference is between the two. And second, it's not clear to me that Nathan actually has read the Constitution. The very first sentence is, We the people of the United States, in order to form a more perfect union, establish justice, ensure domestic tranquility, provide for the common defense, promote the general welfare, and ensure the blessings of liberty to ourselves and our posterity, do ordain and establish this Constitution for the United States of America. Both providing for the common defense and promoting the general welfare come before securing the blessings of liberty, meaning that securing our liberty, or rights, as Nathan interprets it, is not the only thing, or even necessarily the primary thing, that the government is for. In addition, some of the rights that he speaks of, like privacy, are nowhere explicitly mentioned in the Constitution, and other rights, like the right to bear arms has only been interpreted as an individual right to bear arms very recently. I'm not saying that we don't have those rights. What I'm saying is that what the government is and is not for is not so clear-cut as he seems to believe, and is certainly not spelled out unambiguously in the Constitution. When it comes to making policy, we're often faced with a conflict between different rights, and we must choose which is more important, both what the framers thought was more important and what we now think is more important. For example, what happens when my right to life conflicts with your right to free speech? We limit free speech. Like, you can't yell fire in a crowded movie theater. We have constitutional scholarship for a reason, and we have very smart people who have significant differences of opinion over the interpretation of the Constitution. If anything needs to be eradicated, as he says, it's a simplistic, ahistorical view of the foundation of our democracy. Thanks, Jay. Keep up the good work. Hi, Jay. This is Nathan from Vancouver, Washington. And I just wanted to address the, the comparing and contrasting of the Fourth Amendment NSA wiretapping, in which I, in my previous comment I said nuance is not required for the NSA wiretapping to be clearly illegal. Uh, versus the First Amendment issue of the uh, kerfuffle in front of the abortion clinic. The the difference in the abortion clinic is, A, probably nobody should have been arrested because it sounds like there weren't like a, a, a large group of kinder care 
or kindergarten children in front of them or anything like that. So if a couple of adults are saying some curse words at each other and having a heated debate, nobody's getting hurt. I don't think the police need to get involved at all. I mean, if they're going to stand there and make sure nobody gets punched, that's fine. But they, I, I think they're, you know, we're sounded like they were all big boys and girls, and and uh, they could all work out their differences with as long as it's just speaking. But the other thing about the the difference is that one can one is about protecting us from each other. So my speech is constrained in that I can't take out a billboard saying that my garbage man is a child molester and 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 it's not there to harm other people. The other is the constraint on the government itself. And the Fourth Amendment clearly states that the government has to have specific reason to be poking around in our business. Now, the living document portion of it, I think, extends to the fact that hard drives replace papers in many cases and things like that. But in general, it, it's meant to it's meant to be an unreasonable search is a search without probable cause, whether it's metadata or data or or what have you. And that's that's the main distinction there is that it has to. It, there, there's no real nuance required to see that just searching my phone records just because they exist is unreasonable. Thanks. Enjoy the show. Thanks for listening, everyone. Thanks to the volunteers who helped gather clips to make the show possible, and thanks to all those who called into the voicemail line. If you'd like to leave a comment, question, or activist call to action yourself to be played on the show, the number to dial is 202-999-3991. And now for something completely different, I have a sort of a general update and then a specific uh, request for you guys. So first of all, a, a general update on a project that I first announced here a very, very, very long time ago. Uh, the project came to be known as Our Blue Media. And the idea behind this was that there is a, there has to be a better way than PayPal to support all of the progressive media outlets that you know and love because right now you have to go to every different website, set up a different uh, you know subscription plan or, or make one-time donations, and it's just disjointed and no one can really help anyone out. It's, it's just not a great system, and it's not working very well for a lot of people creating progressive media right now. So uh, what we set out to do was to, to, to create a single portal through which you could donate to essentially every progressive media outlet that you may want to support. Uh, that's the goal anyways. And, and so by that, by the very nature of having all of those donation portals on, on one website, it, it just simplifies the process of, of going through finding the media outlets you want to support and supporting them. But then once you do that, other magical things can happen where you unleash what's best about being a progressive which is working together. So once all the media outlets are, are sort of under one roof, then you know it, it's much easier to create scenarios where uh, media outlets, outlets actually help each other out, uh, do partnership deals, and all sorts of things. You can kind of let your imagination run wild, and that's the direction we, we want to be heading with this. And so the update on this project is that although we totally recognize it has taken a lot longer than we expected, uh, we are coming close to a beta launch uh, of, of this website. And so that's coming very soon. But one of the things that, that we have come to know, uh, you know, very, <laughs> very strongly is that we need to be able to explain what this website is, what it does, how it works, and why it's amazing in a lot 
better way than we are currently capable of doing. I've had a lot of conversations with people about this project and I've gotten a lot of blank stares for a while until I'm able to talk for a couple of minutes and then it clicks and then people get really excited about it. But it just, it, it takes a little while. And so we've essentially come to the same conclusion a lot of businesses have, which is to create a, an animated explainer video to go on the website and say like, hey, Here's sort of a, a cartoony metaphor of what we do and to just quickly animate and explain who we are, what we do, and, and why it works. And so, of course, we looked into making an animated video, got, got a quote back of around uh, $25,000, which is a lot more than the website even cost to build, first of all. Um, we, I, you know, I found another sort of lower-end animation uh, style that could potentially do the job still in the neighborhood of $10,000 to have a video like that made. And just, it's not, it's just not there. We, we don't have that sort of money. And so finally I came up, you know, I didn't come up with it, but I found a company that might fit the bill perfectly. They, they essentially know this process people go through. They know people want to make these animated videos, but they know that they don't have this sort of money. And so a company called Powtoons, P-O-W-T-O-O-N-S, uh, with whom I have no connection whatsoever, uh, seems to have created a platform, an online platform, to create your own videos using their tools and templates and sort of animated characters that you can drag and drop into place and create your own videos that way. And so I think this is probably the best solution we're going to come up with, certainly the best one I've, I've seen so far. Uh, I, I definitely have confidence in, in myself to be able to essentially write a script that explains what this is, uh, you know, fairly well. Not that I'm not open to help on that. If you're a script writer, I, I would love to hear from you as well. But mostly what we're missing is an animator. Like it, it's a, it's a simple tool. I can technically do it, but it doesn't mean that if I did it, it would come out really well. And, and it definitely wouldn't come out as good as it possibly could. And so I thought, all right, it's time. It's time to, you know, to, to go to the bullpen and ask, People like you, if you are the type of person who, you know, you like the idea of Our Blue Media, you want to support uh, the, the project, have some time to volunteer, and you have that, that you know, personal spark of, of creative personality that makes you think that you would be a good person to dive into this, uh, take a look at Powtoons, or maybe you already know how to use it, and use your, you know, exceptional creative juices to make this video you know, about 90 seconds or so, obviously, you know, with help uh, with the script and, and guidance on that and everything, um, but to make it, you know, good and interesting in, in a way that, you know, the average person like me probably couldn't do. If any of that sounds like it's up your alley, uh, please get in touch and, and start the conversation because this is, it, it's one of those things that it's so core to making the website work is, is to be able to explain it really easily, but we just don't have anyone uh, working on the project who just knows how to make videos and, and you know what works visually and and I mean I don't know maybe we're just not that uh, not very creative people but it is what it is so if you are one of those creative people get in touch and I'll be uh, very very excited to hear from you.
My direct email address is just my name, jay at bestoftheleft.com. So that's going to be it for today. Thanks, everyone, for listening. If you're not already subscribed to the show to get every episode, uh, please do that. Uh, You can subscribe in iTunes. You can use our standard RSS feed that's on the website or use a variety of great smartphone apps, including Stitcher or Best of the Left has its own app built for iPhone and Android. Thanks especially to those who support the show by becoming a member or making one-time donations. That is absolutely how the program survives. Stay tuned into the show between episodes by joining up with us on Facebook and Twitter. And for details on the show itself, including links to all the sources and music used in this and every episode, all that information is always posted in the show notes on the blog. So coming to you from inside the Beltway yet outside the conventional wisdom of Washington, D.C., my name is Jay, and this has been the Best of the Left podcast, coming to you every third day, thanks entirely to the members and donors to the show from Best of the left.com and it's a crying shame how we get so trained